I'd like to say thank you again to the congregation for inviting me here uh, to speak this weekend, to speak on the subject of angels, and we will continue that discussion this morning. I'd also like to extend a, a, a right hand of fellowship for my home congregation in Oklahoma City, Penn South Church of Christ, and you're in our prayers, and uh, we ask that you pray for our congregation and our people there. Satan is alive and well in this world, and he's active in the lives of people, unfortunately. And the battle rages on, and many times the battle is lost. And so we need your prayers, and I, I know that you need ours too. So, uh, And we ask you to, to keep us in your prayers. And thank you very much again for inviting me down here this weekend. It is a, a great pleasure for me to talk about this subject. This morning I want to talk about angels and their role at the end of time. You know, you think about angels, and we talk about them, and we've talked about several different aspects of the angels, but the scriptures actually have quite a lot to say, and as I studied the subject of angels, it became very clear to me that a, a big part of the role of angels revolves around the final day of judgment, and that final day. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about that subject. We'd like to begin by reading a text from Acts, the first chapter, beginning in verse 11, uh, 9. This is talking about when Jesus was caught up into heaven after his resurrection. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." Very interesting to me that the scriptures describe Christ's ascension into heaven as being taken up into the clouds. It says he was taken up and a cloud received him. So here's Jesus after having given his last few moments of instruction to his disciples. Now he is, begins to ascend up and he's taken up or absorbed up into a cloud. And he disappears out of their sight. Then there are two men who speak to the disciples that are there. And they say, why do you stand marveling at this scene? Why do you guys are looking at, why are you guys looking at this with such amazement? What is it that you're looking at? Don't you know that he's going to come back the same way? The way that he's taken up, he's coming back the same way. Now this is interesting to me when he says, describes the, the nature of his going into this cloud and that he's going to come back that same way. What does the cloud have to do with it? What is the relevance of this cloud? Well, I'd like to think about that for just a moment. First of all, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, I ran a concordance search on the word cloud in the Bible, and most of the time the word cloud in the Bible is not referring to water vapor. Most of the time that the word is used, it's referring to something like this, a group of people. In this case, a great cloud of witness. So it's not without precedent that the word cloud might be used to describe a cloud of something else. We already saw yesterday when we talked about the cloud that covered the mountain and how that cloud was actually a cloud of angels. And we talked about the 20,000 chariots and the, tens, and the tens of thousands of angels that accompanied God there in Mount Sinai and this great cloud that was like it was on fire on top of the mountain. So we've already seen that yesterday, that it's not uncommon in the scriptures for the word cloud or the description of a cloud to describe in that fact, or in that case, angels actually. 
And now Jesus is taken up into a cloud. And we see that the word cloud is used to describe sometimes a great host or cloud of witness. Revelation is the first chapter, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. The coming of the Lord. He is coming with clouds. If I said I'm coming from Oklahoma City, and I'm coming with my wife, and I'll be here tonight. Would you understand that I'm going to leave Oklahoma City and my wife will be with me? And I'm coming with my wife. I think that's generally understood in that statement. Christ is going to leave his abode and bring with him clouds when he comes. I don't think it's talking about water vapor. It's talking about something else because uh, I view heaven as a place of cloudless days. <laughs> so there must be something else in view here when it says he's coming with clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. But what if the Lord comes in a place where there are no clouds, water vapor clouds? I believe, again, he's talking about the clouds of saints, the clouds of the mass of people that are being caught up together, and we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds of people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I put all this together to try to assert that when Jesus comes, he's bringing with him a host of angels. And we'll see this to be true as we study. That he's bringing angels with him, and these angels will be the angels that will accompany him at the final day. These angels are said to be clouds, great clouds of hosts that will come with him. He was caught up into heaven that way, and he'll come back that way. Okay. Having said that, what role do they play? Are angels really involved in that final day? Just briefly, let's look at a parable. We'll come back to this parable later in the sermon. But I want you to know this parable that's like this dragnet that was cast into the sea. And Christ is talking about this net that's cast into the sea. Notice the highlighted quote. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says in this parable that angels will be involved in the separating of the righteous from the wicked at the final day. Later in the same chapter, he gives another parable where he talks about the parable of the tares of the field. And in this parable, when he begins to describe it, he says the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Oh yes, the angels will be involved at that final day. They will be the reapers. The ones that reap the harvest. He goes on to say, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Christ will send out angels at the last day, and those angels will be sent out for the very purpose of reaping. So as I read the Scriptures, what I see is Christ coming from heaven with a great host of angels that we, the Scriptures refer to as clouds. He comes to the earth with clouds of angels. These angels are sent forth to help reap. Well, now, in order for us to have a good, solid understanding of how the angels are going to be involved in this, I think first we need to understand what will happen at the end of time. Let's let the scriptures define for us the events of the end of time. Then we'll go back to this subject and we'll start plugging in the involvement of the angels. That's one of the things I like to do is if I'm not sure about something, I'm studying something that's maybe a little complicated then I like to ascertain the facts that are easy to ascertain first. 
Let's get those out of the way first. So we know the framework of what's going to happen. So that's what we're going to do. We'll study a little bit about the end of time. Then we'll come back to this. And we'll see exactly how do the angels fit into that. First of all, we're just going to go through several verses and build, if you will, like we did Saturday afternoon, a composite view of what the scriptures teach regarding the end of time. John 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus Christ makes it abundantly clear that there is a day coming that everybody will come out of the grave, whether good or evil. All graves will be vacated. If you ever see a scary movie, you know, you watch this movie and all of a sudden, you know, these graves begin to open up and the ground is breaking up and out reaches a hand and another hand and then a this scary looking creature comes out of the grave and, and then, they, you know, you see them on the advertisements of these shows. All these uh, bodies come up out of the grave and they start walking and it's just this horrifying scene. The day is coming. That's not going to be a movie. That's going to really happen. Go out here and find your local cemetery. Those graves will be open. Go stand by the seaside. The bodies that have been, though they have been devoured by fish or whatever, God has a way of bringing them back and they will come out of the sea. This body will live again, whether righteous or unrighteous. All graves will be opened. Now I want you to notice that he defines this in two specific ways. Some will come to the resurrection of life. They will come forth from the grave with a resurrection that's described the resurrection of life. I don't see those bodies as these rotted corpses like you might see in a scary movie. I see these bodies as coming forth with living bodies, better bodies, bodies of life. Others, he says, will come forth with the resurrection of condemnation or damnation. Some will come forth from the grave and the nature of their resurrection is described as a resurrection of damnation. That will be the nature of their existence and the nature of their being when they come forth from the grave. They might look like a scary movie. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's not a resurrection of life. And that's the two choices. Resurrection of life, resurrection of damnation. Those are the two kinds of resurrections there will be, but it will all happen at the same time. Notice what he says. The hour is coming. Don't let anybody tell you this is going to be stretched out over several years. It's not. Jesus Christ, his words, the words of Jesus Christ said, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, this will be one singular event. That all will be resurrected. The scriptures could not be more clear about this. This is not some sort of a passage written in code or hard to understand. This is a very clear, succinct statement from Christ. The hour is coming. All the graves will be vacated. There will be two kinds of people coming out of those graves. Let's look at the next verse. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus has revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In this passage, he describes part of this resurrection. He's describing those of the wicked. He says, don't be troubled. The day is coming when those that come forth 
that have not obeyed the gospel, that do not know God, those that are unrighteous, he says, these will be punished. Part of the event of this resurrection, this final day, is those that come out of the grave with the resurrection of condemnation will come forth for the purpose of being punished. How will they be punished, Paul? They'll be punished with everlasting destruction. And that everlasting destruction will be comprised of basically one simple thing. They'll be separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They'll be separated from God in this resurrection. There's a lot of ways that we could describe that. We won't go into that at this time. But that's what's going to happen. The resurrection of the damnation. They will be resurrected for the sole purpose of being punished. And he describes this is that day just like he did here. It's all going to happen at the same time. Let's look at another verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now the others that have no hope are these that have been resurrected with the resurrection of condemnation. Now he says to those that were going to enjoy that are going to enjoy the resurrection of life. He says to them, "Don't sorrow as these others that have no hope, but let me tell you about the hope that you do have. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this way, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So now he explains this same event. We've already talked about the resurrection of the condemnation in 2 Thessalonians. Now 1 Thessalonians is going to tell us about the resurrection of the righteous. And he says at this time when this occurs, he will descend from heaven with a great shout, with a great trumpet, with the voice of an archangel. This massive event will be announced by this great voice. And at that moment, the, the graves will open and those that are righteous will come forth. He says those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend uh, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Christ is, or rather, Apostle Paul is explaining this event where there will be some that are still alive, some that are dead. The dead will, in Christ will rise first. The resurrection of the righteous, they're over here. The resurrection of the righteous, caught up together. Those that are alive and remain will be caught up together. All will be changed. We'll meet the Lord and be with the Lord forever. At that same moment, meanwhile, the wicked are being resurrected. And they're being carried off to their condemnation. All of this is said to happen on a single day or a single hour as Christ. A single event. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Those that are alive and remain, you remember those guys that are here still on the earth? They're going to change. Let's say if the Lord came right now, the graves would begin to open. 
you and I, the righteous, Lord willing, would immediately undergo a change. We would change. And we would be caught up with those others that are righteous. Meanwhile, we would see the wicked being resurrected. All of this happening simultaneously. Not all will sleep, but all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So again, this was announced with a great trumpet. And then with a moment, a twinkling of an eye, just boom, this all happens. Now we describe these things and we read these verses. And it sounds so much like we should... Write down a sequence of events. Well, this is going to happen, then this. And by the way, at 310, then it'll be this. And it feels like that when you read the scriptures. But the truth is the scriptures describe it as something that will be just like this. It's over. Just like that. Boom, it's done. That hour, it will happen. It's like a twinkling of an eye. Boom, all that stuff will happen. It'll be done. It won't be time to have regrets or wait. There'll be an eternity to go through that. It'll all happen in a twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. For those that are coming forth from the grave with the resurrection of the righteous, that will be a day of great victory, he describes it. Death is swallowed up in victory. And he says it will be a resurrection that is incorruptible. These are corruptible. That will be incorruptible. Incorruptible. Second Peter chapter 3. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will, be, will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteous, in, what, in which righteousness dwells. A couple of things I want to notice about this passage. First of all, at the same time, the resurrection of the wicked and the righteous, when the trumpet blows and the, uh, the righteous are changed, everybody's caught up. At this same event, the earth will be burned up. The earth will melt with a great noise. Elements melt, fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This terra firma that we stand on will not be here anymore. In other words, it's over. There's no going back. It's done. This event is final. There's no more earth to go back to and get it right a second time. I uh, have a co-worker. I work in the construction business, project manager, and uh, work at Tinker Air Force Base up in Oklahoma City. And uh, my coworker is a fellow that has not lived a, a real good life. He's lived a life of a lot of self-destructive behavior. He's a man who has a distant, faraway faith in God, but he does not live it. He went to a class reunion here a few weeks ago, and uh, over a weekend, and he came back, and that Monday, he and I 
went down to the cafeteria to eat lunch together. We eat lunch together a lot. In a sort of an odd way, I, I really like this guy. <clears throat> we sat down there at lunch, and we were just eating. And he told me, he said, you know, you're a, you're a man of faith. He says, let me tell you what I've visualized heaven to be. And he had been talking about his class reunion. And I said, okay, this has got to be good. Because <laughs> who knows what this guy's going to say. He's all, he lives a very hedonistic life. He said, heaven, to me, heaven would be perfect if heaven was a chance for me to go back to when I was 13 years old and relive my teenage years because they were so destructive. I made so many bad choices, and I hurt a lot of people because he'd just come from his class reunion, and he was really aware of that. And uh, I told him, I told him, I said, well, you can't do that, but you can start today. I don't know what faith holds for him, but regret is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. You can't go back and fix things. When you mess up and make mistakes and live destructive lifestyle, it's done. That's, that's, it, that's it. The end of time is the period at the end of that sentence. There's no more chances after that. It's final. The earth is burned up. Your destiny is set. It's over. There's no go-backs or do-overs. And if you think about that a little bit, that gets pretty serious. It's final. The other thing I want to notice about this, in light of that, look what he says should be our attitude about that day. How do you think about that day? What's your thought about that final day? How do you feel about that day? Watch what he says. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Christmas is coming up. Everybody likes Christmas. You get the kids, you get them some presents. You just can't wait till that day gets here because, you know, you've got just that one present from somebody who gets you a good present every year and it's under the tree and, boy, you're really excited about it. Or maybe it's your birthday or maybe it's a, a, a concert you're wanting to go to. Whatever, something you're looking forward to. And you look forward to it, and you just can't wait. You know how kids are about Christmas. They just can't wait. Is it Christmas yet? Can we open our presents yet? And they're just excited and hastening the coming of the day. They can't wait till it gets here. Christians should look at the last day like it's Christmas. Hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Let me ask you about the last day. Are you looking forward to the final day? with a great sense of joy and anticipation. I just can't wait. What a great day. What a wonderful time. Oh, if it would just hurry up and get here. Or are you looking at it with a sense of dread and fear? I would tell you that may be a good indication of where your heart is at. Check your heart. How do you feel about the coming of the day of the Lord? We ought to be hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Looking forward to it. Let's look at some other verses. Romans 2. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. 
But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, here's what they're going to have, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. You know what this verse is describing for us? It's describing on the one hand, for the righteous that are resurrected with the resurrection of life, who are caught up to be with the Lord in the air, who go to be forever with the Lord. It's a day of eternal life, who by patient continuance seek for glory. It's a day of honor. It's a day of rem- It's a great day. We sing the song, a great day is coming. And it is a great, great day for others. Those who do not obey the truth, it is a day of indignation. It is a day of wrath. It is a day of tribulation. It is a day of anguish. It's a horrible day. Never will there, has there ever been or will there ever be a day that is such a great day. The day that is such a horrible day. A day that is such a great day of reward. A, gra- a day that is such a great day of punishment and wrath. The same day, it will be a great day. It will be a horrifying day, both. And it will be a day that is coming. Oh, one more verse. Acts 17, 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. It's out there. God's appointed it. It's not floating. It's not waiting. He has established it. He has appointed a day when this is going to happen. Revelations 3 and 3, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Some, it will be a terrifying day, a day of overwhelming fear and dread. And for some, it will be a day of great joy, but it is a day that is coming. Let's put these things together that we've talked about. It will be an all-encompassing single event that includes the following things. It will include the resurrection of all the righteous. All this can happen at the same time. The resurrection of all righteous. The resurrection of all wicked. It will involve the judgment of all mankind. It will involve the ascension of the righteous into heaven. It will involve the casting of the wicked into hell. It will include the destruction of the earth. It will include, uh, it will come without warning. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. This day will happen just boom like that. It will be both a great day and a horrible day, and it is final. That's the end of time. Okay. How are angels involved at this event? Because we've already established early on that angels are going to be very involved in this event. What are they going to be doing? Well, let's go back now. And let's look at some of the passages. We read some of these already. We're going to go back and look at these and others that establish for us the involvement of angels in the final day. The book of Jude, uh, verse 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have in- committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude was predicting, rather not Jude, but Enoch, the prophet Enoch, lived before the flood. He was predicting the punishment of God in the flood. He was talking about how God would punish man in the flood, but in so doing, it mirrored a prophecy of the end of time, describing the final day. Jude then reminds of this prophecy of Enoch and says, this also applies to the end of time, this prediction. And he says what's going to happen is he's going to come with ten thousands of his saints. 
And when he comes, he will come to execute judgment on all those that are wicked. So from the very creation of the earth, prophets have foretold that angels will accompany the coming of the Lord at his judgment. Ten thousands of his saints. Here comes Christ with ten thousands of his angels coming to execute wrath and judgment on the world. And this was predicted as far as long ago as before the flood. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. We read this verse already, but I want to look at some other things in it now. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now we noticed Friday night and some yesterday that there are different kinds of angels. I think we established there might be little bitty angels. There may be great big angels. We had it established for certain that there was angels large enough to block the path before Balaam's donkey. We established there were angels large enough to stand on the threshing floor and look over Jerusalem with the sword drawn that man could not resist. We established there were angels that were you know, similar to man in size and strength, the angel that wrestled with Jacob. There are all kinds of angels. Revelation talks about angels that John saw, and he says, I saw a strong angel. Well, now in describing the last day, the Apostle Paul says it's a particular kind of angel that's going to come with the Lord. It is his mighty angels. Now, to me, you know, all angels are pretty mighty. (laughs) But he describes these angels that are coming as mighty angels. So I conjure up in my mind the vision of the great angel that's reaping across Jerusalem with its sword drawn, slaying thousands for the wickedness of David numbering the people. And David begging the, the reaping to stop. You might think of this almost like the grim reaper. This vision of this horrifying angel reaping across God's people. Mighty angels. This angels, these angels will not be resisted and you'll not wrestle with them all night. That's not the kind of angels these will be. These will be mighty angels. Luke 9 verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his father's and of the holy angels. Again, I would say if somebody asked me, I'd say, well, all angels are holy. This text indicates to us from the words of Christ that some angels are considered particularly holy. Some angels are held up as uniquely holy. You know, if somebody comes to your house and says, I'm here to collect the rent. And you say, well, you haven't fixed the sewer. And my air conditioner's still broken. And you start finding fault with the property. And you say, you, you take care of the house like you should, then I'll pay my rent. And you would challenge the moral authority on which they would collect the rent. That's what you would call that, challenging a person's moral authority. You can't collect the rent from me because you haven't kept your end of the bargain. You're not living up to what's expected of you, landlord. These angels will not be challenged. You'll not be able to look at these angels when they come and say, well, wait a minute. Didn't you? No. Aren't you? No. These will be holy angels. There'll be no questioning their moral authority to come and reap. They'll be mighty angels. They will be holy angels. It will be the mightiest and holiest of angels that will come with the Lord to assist him in bringing the vengeance of God on those who do not obey the gospel. There'll be no resisting these angels. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, 
Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Revelations 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. When Christ comes, it will be the presence of these angels that establishes in the mind of everybody that he is king of king and Lord of lords. You see that? He comes with his holy angels and then he will sit on his throne. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Can you imagine the scene? As the graves are being emptied, as the righteous are coming forth, and now we see these clouds are no longer clouds, but it's the Savior accompanied by mighty and holy angels. And as he appears, he appears enthroned, as this verse describes for us. And he is surrounded by these angels. And no one will be able to resist, but rather every tongue will say, This is Jesus, the Son of God. Every knee will bow before him and say, I ought to be worshiping this one. Every tongue will confess. It will be very clear that he belongs on the throne when he comes again. Nobody will be able to challenge him. And it will be the presence of these angels that are around that throne that will establish that in the minds of everybody who sees. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. When Jesus comes, the presence of his angels will be a testimony to his glory, to his kingship and reign. And every person on earth will see both Jesus and the vast host of angels that submit to his beck and call. Luke 12, verse 8, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Revelations 3, verse 5, But he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. How interesting. As Christ comes, his holy angels have accompanied him. Christ will begin to confess names. He's in, now, remember, all this happens in a twinkling of an eye. It sounds like it's something that would take a long time, but it won't. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. But in this moment of this twinkling of an eye, Christ will come, his angels surrounding him, the mighty and holy angels. And Christ will begin. Justin, Nathan, I mean, Yancey, Mike. I forgot most of your names. I'm sorry. The Lord won't. Brother Jeremy. He'll begin to call them off. This one belongs to me. This one belongs to me. This one is mine. Carrie. Truman Teal. Whoever. He begins to call those names off. Confessing before angels and God that this one belongs to me. Imagine that moment. Assuming that he goes alphabetically. I doubt that. (laughs) Will my name be called? As I'm coming forth from the grave, yet unaware of my existence and my being, but I'm hearing names, will my name be passed by? God, or rather Christ, will be calling out names, saying, Father, angels, this one, this one, this one, this one. This one. Calling out the names of those that are righteous. He will deny me before men. He will be denied before the angels of God. Angels. This one doesn't belong to me. This one didn't confess my name. This one did not obey the gospel. This one did not know God or obey the gospel. He will deny us before the mighty and holy angels. 
When Jesus comes, he will announce before God and all of the angels that you belong to him. He will call out your name to the angels. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now that God, now that Christ has called out the names, the angels will begin to ascend upon the earth. And as they ascend upon the earth, they will begin the job, the dirty work of separating. Can't you just see the resurrected wicked and the resurrected righteous? As the angels come to the wicked and lay hold on them and begin to drag them off into the shadows. In the distance you can hear the screeches and screams knowing that they cannot resist. I saw a movie one time where, I remember the movie, but this guy died and supposedly he's being dragged off into eternal damnation. And it shows these shadows sort of coming up out of the floor and it grabs this character and and it's horrifying to watch because you can see the dread in his face. This actor portrayed this very well. You can see the dread and horror in his face as he sort of is drug unwillingly screaming off into the shadows. And the last you hear is just the faint scream for help. That's probably a poor depiction of what it will be like when angels, mighty and holy angels, come and take the wicked by force. And conduct them off to eternal punishment. The angels will perform the work of separating the righteous from the unrighteous. And will cast the wicked into hell. You didn't think the wicked would go there voluntarily, did you? You didn't think those wicked, resurrected wicked would just say, okay, I'm headed that way. No. They'll resist. They'll fail. The angels will escort them by force off to eternal fangs of judgment. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Matthew twenty four thirty one. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 16. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then he will reward each one according to his works. Imagine it's resurrection morning, and you have just come forth from the grave. If it's like any other awakening, you may not be fully aware of your surroundings yet. You, the last you know, you were living a life here on this earth. It may be that you would come forth disoriented, not completely aware of what you should do. Never fear. As a mother tenderly wakes up her child, angels will come, take you by the arm, and escort you. He will gather them together, no matter where, and gently take them to be with the Lord. What a way to wake up. What a, that's a lot better than when I get out of bed, I'll tell you. What a way to get up in the morning. It will be the angels that attend the Lord in gathering the righteous from the various parts of the earth and taking them to their heavenly abode. 
There was a certain man, a certain rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Not only are the angels involved at the end of time, but at the passing of righteous from this life, the angels also will escort you to your place of temporary rest. Here is Lazarus as he dies in his misery. Angels now carry him off to Abraham's bosom, escorting him away. And as I think about this, I think about old Lazarus laying there at the rich man's gate, begging for food, just living a life of, of misery from one day to the next. All the pains that are associated with his situation. Longing for that day, looking forward to it like it's Christmas. Someday my Lord will come. I see the rich man eating in his home, not thinking about anybody else but himself. Lazarus looks up and he notices there's clouds in the sky. Lazarus, it's not clouds. Savior's coming to take you home. Angels are coming to escort you away. I don't know, it probably won't look like that. That's just an artist's rendition. But Christ is coming in the clouds. And someday he's coming to take his righteous home with him. Are you looking forward to that day like Christmas? Like a great day? It is a great day. It's a horrible day. If you're not ready this morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. Come have a seat on the front. We'll assist you in obeying the Lord at baptism to become a part of the kingdom of God. You need the prayers of the church. However, we can help you to get yourself ready for that day because that day is coming and the angels will be involved in separating the righteous from the wicked and there'll be no resisting their power, their might, and their holiness. If you request the help in any way we can, come forth while we sing a song of invitation.